This is episode number 541 with the number one New York Times bestselling author, Gretchen Rubin. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Donald Miller said, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. And welcome to this episode with the sensational Gretchen Rubin. If you don't know who she is, she is the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold almost 3 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. Now, she hosts the popular weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Fast Company named Gretchen to its list of the most creative people in business, and she's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's also a three-time number one New York Times bestselling author. And I'm so excited about our interview today. She's in the Greatness Studio. And some of the big things we talk about are the four tendencies that human beings have with their personality and how this affects you at home, at work, and in your life. We talk about what these four tendencies are, how you can understand which one you are and understand what everyone else is around you. We talk about the best way to tell someone how to work with your personality type, why people are the way they are, the four ways people respond to certain expectations. That and so much more in episode number 541. If you want to watch the full video interview, make sure to check out the full show notes at lewishouse.com slash 541. There are a lot of great quotes over there on the show notes. Make sure to tweet them out. Tag your friends on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and tag me as well when you're posting this so I can connect with you on social media and say thank you for listening. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy this one all about happiness and understanding human nature. Episode number 541 with the one, the only Gretchen Rubin. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back and one of the School of Greatness podcast. We have the legendary Gretchen Rubin <laughs> in the house. Dang, I like being legendary. Thank Good to you. See you. Double high five. Double high five. Uh, I'm excited that you're here. The last time you were on was a couple years ago. And uh, but it wasn't in person; it was over Skype, I believe. Yeah, and now I'm hearing your fabulous setup here, yes. like in the middle of the gorgeous LA. It's like just like you read about greatness headquarters. Greatness headquarters, yes, it lives up to it. it hopefully, we're yeah. always trying to improve. Yeah, that's a high bar, but I think you, I think you meet it. The word is is a high standard. It is because you can't have average stuff <laughs> if you're trying to be great. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have the mediocre. You can't do it. But um, you've you've impacted so many people's lives over the last many years. Um, 
with all your books. What is this, your sixth book now, seventh book? This is actually like my eighth or ninth book because wow. I started writing a lot before. I, I had a lot of books come out before anybody sort of realized knew about it. it. Yes. But in here, I think it shows like six previous books. Is that right? These these six books. Well, I hope they listed them all. One, two, three, four, five, six. So this is my... What? They missed up. They messed up all the books that you wrote. <gasps> they missed a book. Oh wow. my gosh! No way. This is why I don't like seeing finished books. Oh, th- trust me. Listen. No. Oh my gosh! Here, I cannot let me believe show you it. Something. I am super annoyed. Let me oh show you something. Oh my my. You know what? It's one of my. Fa- well, I love all the books that I wrote, but it's Forty Ways to Look at Winston Churchill, which mm. is such a wonderful book that I wrote. Oh my gosh! Gretchen's making a note right now. I just made. I her am mad. just yeah yeah. Let the I'm record gonna, reflect that I'm, I'm writing myself this. an irate note. I'm going to show you this. So when I got my copy, and this is an amazing copy. I don't copy. even like looking at the final copy because you always see something that's wrong and it's too it's late to first fix it. Pages first. It's the first I'll thing you, you see. It's I'll the, show you yes. this. So okay, good. Right looks. when I right when I opened, I was like, okay, this looks nice. The first page. It looks the second, nice. The second looks page. Good. Can you good. do you notice anything here that usually wouldn't be on this page? Your dedication. See, she got it okay. right away. The, dedica- the dedication is on the copyright page. I've never seen that before. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, how do we miss this? Because mm-hmm. you'd think it's something so simple that would have its own page, okay. right? But, but I'm going to tell you how we're going to reframe this yes. to make ourselves happier. So yes. there is a, there's a belief, and I don't know if it's true, but like that in certain folk cultures, like the Amish or whomever, I've heard it attributed to different cultures, that when people are making something, say they're making a quilt or they're making a piece of furniture, they deliberately introduce a mistake to show that man cannot aspire to the perfection of God. And so this is just how you show that you are acknowledging that nothing can be perfect. And so I think you have something that's not perfect. Mm -hmm. I have something that's not perfect, and we're going to embrace this. Maybe embrace we'll make it into it. a little game for our our readers. Like <laughs> find the imperfections. Find the mistake. In our okay, find the mistake in the first five pages. Something something is missing. Something is wrong. So, so I brought this to your attention. You didn't yes. know this. Well, I mean, I give you props for being detail oriented, man, because that's like one of my favorite books that I've ever written, and it's not listed there. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's you okay. know, I think what it was is they didn't list profane waste, which is a very odd, it's like an art essay that I did in mm. collaboration with an, with an artist. And so I think that got dropped. And so I was so busy putting that in that I didn't check mm. to see if all the books were in. Because you were just like, oh, they forgot this one. So let's add it. Yeah. But despite that mistake, it's an amazing book that will change everybody's lives. So that's okay. Which one? That <laughs> one I, and this, this one. one. <laughs> yes. This one. Yes. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Why will it change everyone's lives? Self-knowledge. I mean, I really think when people know about the four tendencies, they really do, um, in my vanity, I have to believe that they really do see themselves differently and more clearly. And then they understand other people better too. And they can see how to set up situations in a way that just allows everybody to, to thrive. Mm-hmm. Allows them to thrive, but it's also give you like peace of mind and clarity yeah. or what is it? What's the main thing it does for you? Well, part of well, it's peace of mind, but it's and it's also compassion. It's like I understand, mm. like I like you're struggling with something that's easy for me instead of feeling disdain for you or like being puzzled or frustrated that you're not following through in a way that would make sense to me. I think, oh, well, somebody else just needs things to be set up in a different way. So let's set up a th- uh, set up the situation in a way that is going to allow you to thrive. Mm-hmm. The fact that I wouldn't need this to be set up this way doesn't really matter. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you need something different from what I need. So, okay, well, let's just figure that out. Yeah. And Christine was going over these, <laughs> these tendencies and she is the, what do you, the upholder? 
Obliger. 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 Okay. Well, that's the biggest tendency. That's the one the most really? people fit into. So it makes sense. But she said she's uh, if when there's challenges or rules that other people give her, she like lives up to it. But if yeah. she sets her own rules, she's like, eh, I can slide on these things. That's Obliger. Right? Yeah. She's like, that's, that's me. The, that is the definition of Obliger. And then what am I, Christine? I'm a rebel. If okay. somebody asks or tells you to do something, you're very likely to resist. Yeah, I'm, I'm likely to resist unless I, it's like my idea. That's right. See, right? It's rebels, my vision. rebels can do anything they want to do. So should I go it's through my the way. Should I go through the Let's framework? Do it. Yes. Okay. So it has to do with how people respond to expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend, and or inner expectations, your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, your own desire to uh, start, but write a novel in, the, in your free time. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. Upholders. Upholders. Anything that they set for themselves or anyone else asks them to do, yes. they do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So like Why her, do they do that? Hermione Granger is like the most, right now is probably the most famous upholder in the world. Uh, then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, they will meet it no problem. If it fails their standard, they will resist. They hate anything arbitrary, inefficient, or unjustified. Whenever anybody uses the word arbitrary, it's like a big warning sign. that mm. it's, a, it's a big signal that they're a questioner. Then obligers. So this is Christine Obliger. Yes. They readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Like I had a friend who said, oh, well, when I was on a track team, I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? It's like, oh, well, when you had a team and a coach waiting for you, you had no trouble showing up. But when you're just trying to go running on your own, you struggle. Right. Um, and then finally, rebels. Lewis, you're a rebel. So rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Typically, they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Like, like they might not say, like, I'm not going to sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday because I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And that's so the, me. I don't like the, planning anything. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Spontaneity. Wait until the last minute, yeah, yeah, then yeah. I'll plan and commit. Yeah, no, um, a lot of um, spontaneity. <laughs> Again, like, there's certain things that people say and you're like, mm, that's a tip-off. Uh, when anybody's trying to talk about, like, it's important to be spontaneous, I'm like, I bet you're a rebel. So but someone the, who likes to schedule out a year in advance, who is that? Well, that could be upholders or questioners or obligers, though okay. it's very typical of upholders. But the thing about rebels, and I think you're a great example of this, Lewis, is they can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. Um, you and I are both friends with Chris Gillibo, great, mm -hmm. a brilliant, great mm -hmm. guy. Um, he's a rebel um, because once they make up their mind, they can do anything. But the fact that you're telling them to do something is not going to make them do it and might make them be like, you know what? You're not the boss of me. I'm not going to do that right now. Right. Or I'm not going to do it at all. Right. Because... It's almost reverse psychology. You tell me I can't do something, then I'm going to rebel against you and say, you know what, I'm going to show you. So, and that people can use that. Um, oh. So, for instance, let's say you have a rebel in your life and you want to encourage that person to quit smoking. You wouldn't say you have to quit. You wouldn't say you should quit. You shouldn't say the doctor says you have to quit. You shouldn't say you promised me you'd quit. You I bet you can't quit, though. Yeah. Guy you. like you, you've been smoking 10 years. You're addicted, man. Big There's no way you can quit. There's no way you can get big tobacco's got you right where they want you. You're <laughs> pouring money into their pockets. Yep. Why even bother? Don't even try. You can't, you know, don't even keep try. Keep smoking for the rest yeah, of your life. Yeah, keep smoking. Yeah. Yeah, big tobacco. You're the guy they're <laughs> depending on. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're stuck. You can't quit. Yeah. yeah. And then often they'll do something in their own way too. Like doing a typical cessation program, they're like, no, I'm going to just go hardcore and quit overnight or I'll have my own system mm -hmm. for doing it. Um, 
So that's that. come up with a process for them that works. They want to do it their way. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that's totally. So weird. sometimes you could say, well, sometimes this works for some people, or some people like this, and this. I've seen people have success with this, mm-hmm. and maybe you want to think about this when you're thinking about what would work for you. But then it's just whatever you think, you know, whatever works for you. And you know, I've seen you do amazing things in your time. If you make up your mind that you want to quit, I don't know, maybe you could quit yeah. because I've seen you do some pretty powerful stuff when that's what you want. So mm-hmm. when you make up your mind, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Are, they, are we born with these tendencies, or yes. are we? We I are. Think, I think we're. I think they're inborn. I think they're part really? of our our personality. Or is yeah. it triggers of things that happen in our childhood? I that don't like think make so. Make us start resisting and reacting, and then we become rebellious or whatever. No. I really think that these are inborn. You're not one at twenty and one at forty. You're not one at work and one at home. They're really hardwired into your personality. You never change. Can you never change from being a questioner to upholder? Or? Well, okay. So one, so one big question in sort of personality studies is, do people change? And I think, in my observation, for the most part, most people do not change. Like you recognize the person at maybe eight years old that they would be at fifty-eight. Like they're mm-hmm. basically the same person. Yeah. And I think for those kinds of people, you you stay within your tendency. With time and experience and wisdom, you might be able to use your tendency to your advantage. Or maybe if you're in a culture, like if you're in a North Korea, being a questioner, you're going to tamp that down. If you're in Silicon Valley, you might get rewarded for it. Every once in a while, there are people who go through truly personality-altering events. Maybe it's a severe trauma. It's a brush with death. It's a serious bout of addiction. Um, It's, you know, you go on a, a medication that really fundamentally changes the way your personality comes out. Or something so extraordinary happens to you, like, oh my gosh, you were pretty much a normal person and now you're Diana, Princess of Wales. And that is such an extraordinarily (laughs) distorting thing to happen to somebody that I think then then people's tendencies can kind of slip out of place. But I think for the basic person who's more or less the same person that they were... you're stuck. You, you're, you're, you're not born stuck. You're born with a tendency, and you can yes. You can, can people choose to change if they want to? They say, you know what? I don't like being a rebel. I want to be an upholder. So this gets to another big question, which is, can you really change your inborn nature? And the fact is, if you even can, which debatable if you can, it's very very hard and takes a long time and is an yeah. enormous struggle. Right. But it's super easy to change your circumstances. So what I say about the four tendencies is, if there's something you don't like about your tendency, just fix it from the outside. Like figure out a figure out the hack in your circumstances to get you wherever you want to go. So if you're an obliger and you're so obligers, if they want to meet inner expectations, if they want to meet their own expectations for themselves. What they need is outer accountability. That is the solution that will always work. So if you want mm-hmm. if you want to read a book, join a book group. If you right. want to exercise, join an exercise class or you know there's a million ways to create outer accountability once you realize it. And sometimes obligers will say to me, well, I don't want to have to rely on outer expectations. I want to be able to just have my own inner expectations. I don't want outer accountability. And you won't get anything done. Yeah, I'm just like, well, (laughs) there's a quick, easy way to do this and to get done what you want to get done. Or you could spend a lot of time trying to deeply change yourself, which I think seems incredibly frustrating and probably not even possible. Mm -hmm. So why not do the quick, easy thing? You know, to, mm-hmm. it's, and that's one of the things I like about the four tendencies framework is that it really does suggest fairly simple solutions to common problems. Once you realize what the issue is, it's like, oh, OK, I see. I see how people like me solve problems like this. Yeah. It's not so hard. Yeah. What advice do you give for people who ha- who don't understand the tendencies? Like, let's say I understand these, but you don't. Right. Yeah. How am I supposed to connect with you so that you understand my tendency and what I'm going to need 
to be able to effectively be, a, you know, a better leader with me or communicate with me or right. understand who I am. Well, see, I think the so thing that's just clashing. In right. It. Well, I think one of the things that happens with the four tendencies is a lot of times people don't understand what actually they need. So, like, let's say you're a questioner and you're having a lot of conflict with your boss. What you might not understand is happening is, I okay, you're like, okay, I, am as a, as a questioner, need to have robust justification for everything if I'm going to get with the program. And so I'm asking you question after question after question because I don't understand a decision that you made. Okay, and I, as your boss, am perceiving you as being obstructionist, insubordinate. Why are you questioning my judgment? I'm feeling thin-skinned and defensive because I feel like here's somebody who's really refusing to accept my authority. So we have a conflict. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm the questioner, I could be like, okay, I see that this is something that comes up sometimes with questioners. We questioners sometimes drain and overwhelm people with our questions. Right, right. I need to think of a way to be more constructive in the way that I'm approaching my boss because I can see that this is causing a problem. Or I, as a boss, could say, this guy's a pain in my neck, but he's probably like this all the time with everybody he ever runs into. He has all these questions. There might be other people here who have mm-hmm. questions. So why don't I say, why don't I say like, hey, team, if you feel like you understand why we picked the software program, you do not need to come to the meeting. You know, if, you, if, you're not, right. if you don't want to know more, that's fine. Right. But if you feel like you would really like for us to take some time, an afternoon this week, and I'm going to really sit down and take you through the logic and the reasons that corporate used in order to pick the software, if you feel like you have questions that haven't been answered, I'd be happy to take your questions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I don't have to take it personally. This guy isn't, you know, he's yeah, not trying sure. to be um, disrespectful. He just needs answers. So it's like once you realize that's what's going on, it's easy to see. But it's not like both of those p- players need to ha- have the other person understand. They just have to be like, oh, I see how I'm reacting to this person. Got it. Got yeah. it. How did you do the research for this to f- figure these out? Well, you know, I'm like a street scientist, so I'm always just like looking around. It's it's anecdata. Um, I'm like sure, looking, sure. you know, looking to try to understand what I see around me. And one of the, I had this giant lightning bolt when very normal, ordinary moment of my life where I was having lunch with a friend, and uh, she said something that is very, it's like something that a lot of people have said similar things. When she said, "I don't understand," when I was on. High, the high school track team, I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? And that was the thing that really got me mm. noticing patterns. And then I started noticing that, um, like some people, if you say, well, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Some people would say, oh, well, I would keep a resolution whenever it made sense for me, but I wouldn't do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. So would that be a rebel then? or That'd be... A questioner. Questioner. Because arbitrary is is the key. Yeah, it's like I would do it whenever it makes sense because that's like what's more efficient. But I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to do it when everyone else does it. I want to do it when I want to do it. That's true. But also also rebels often will say things like I don't want to bind my – I would never bind myself to a New Year's resolution. If Mm -hmm. I want to do something, I'll do it. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell myself I'm going to do it. And in fact, rebels will often say that if they do try to make a resolution – then they rebel against it. So if they're like, oh, I'm giving up bread, then they run out the next day and buy a giant loaf of sourdough bread. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to make a to-do list and do everything on my to-do list. It's like, no, I'm not going to do anything on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> but so I started noticing these patterns and um, and it took me a long time to sort of figure out how all the pieces fit together. And it was really when I understood that the core idea is this idea of expectation, which is such a boring word. I was like searching the sy- for a synonym that sounded like juicier. But it really does come down to this outer and inner expectations. And once you see that, then all these patterns that seem very disconnected all of a sudden make Isn't sense. Expectations is just like the, the killer of community. It's like the killer of relationships. 
when people have an expectation that's not understanding the other person's expectation and it's not met yeah. or it is met, I feel like so much conflict happens when people aren't aware of expectations or they're not clearly defined. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. It's challenging. It is challenging. No, I think but when we can understand the tendencies, we're going to yeah. understand someone's expectations yeah. for the market, yeah. right? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, and it's also, I think it highlights exactly your point, which is that it's very important to think about the role they're playing. Don't have them be implicit or assumed or not discussed. It's like if you want, if you have something that you want to have happen, you need to spell that out. You know, it's like, well, if I load the dishwasher, I expect you to unload it. And then we can have a conversation about it. But it's like, don't just expect that somebody's going to volunteer and understand that this is how all right-minded people behave. Mm -hmm. They might. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host if a friend asks how you're doing and you say i'm okay when the truth is i don't want my problems to burden anyone or you say hang it in there because if i ask for help they'll just think i'm weak then this is your sign to call Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. What makes you so curious about these things? Like about, you know, the happiness project, this, all the stuff you've been doing. Why are you so curious to know all these things i think this has just always been my subject and all my books including the one that's not listed in my book my name <laughs> my latest book it's all about human nature it's like trying to understand um why are people the how what what are we like why do we do what we do how how can people change like why can people change sometimes but not other times why how are, are people so curious, alike though? and different i don't know it's always been the thing that's most interested me in fact, it was so interesting to me, it didn't occur to me that it was an interest. It just seemed like the thing that everybody in the world was interested in. It didn't seem like a specialty in a way. It took me a while to realize, like, oh, this is a subject. Yeah. Were you always curious as a kid, too? Just about these things? Yeah. Or people yeah. and observing people? Well, I've always been a huge reader, and so I think that's how it comes out, is just always wanting to read more and more and more. Um because that's a that's a great way to learn about human nature is through yeah. reading. You still yeah. read a lot today? I do. I do read a lot. Every week a new book, two books? Yes, and in fact, on my Facebook page, every Sunday night, I do a thing, a hashtag Gretchen Rubin Reads, where I just, I all I do is post a picture of the books that I've read that week. And I always, this is one of the, the things I did for the Happiness Project, is I stop reading any book that I don't like. So if, I, if you see it in the stack, it means I liked it well enough to finish it. Oh. Um, but I don't otherwise editorialize about it because it would just be, it would, I read a lot. So it would just take too much time to write like a little thing. Do but, you speed read it all or do you actually like read it word for word? Do you skip over stuff and kind of like 
first chapter, last chapter. No, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm certainly not trained in speed reading. I don't do anything that's officially speed reading. I must read pretty fast because mm. I feel like I never have time to read. It's like this huge thing that I'm constantly working on in my book, Happier at Home. And also, better than before, I've had habits. I talked a lot about the habits of reading more, which is a habit that a lot of people want. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm never reading, and yet I do read several books a week. So I must be reading some time, some fairly fast. Um, but I really feel like I'm always fighting to have that. That yeah. right. But one of the things I love about a book tour, um, I don't know how you when you go on book tour how you use your time. But a friend of mine gave me a great piece of advice. She's like, when I travel for business, I only read for pleasure. So she never tries to work on a plane when she's traveling mm. for work. She's like, that's my time to read for fun. It's totally transformed my travel because instead of either working or feeling guilty about not working, I'm like, I'm just going to, I have this huge stack of uh, books that I'm going to, I'm for sl- pleasure. Yes. That I'm slowly reading on my book That's tour because cool. I love reading on airplanes. It's one of my favorite, favorite times because you're not interrupted. <laughs> yeah. It's quiet. You're just like, you've got nowhere else to go. You don't have to jump up and deal with anything. You're just you're in your seat. You're not waiting for the Wi-Fi to load no. while you get your emails. No. Sitting just... there for five minutes for one email and frustrated. Yeah. yeah like you... me last night. Oh, yeah. I know that <laughs> feeling. Where it's just like, oh, loading, 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 yes. loading. And, you know, every... Everyone else, get off Wi-Fi. Yeah, I know. Um, no, but so, yeah. So I've been, uh, I love getting the chance to do some hardcore mm. reading. What brings you the most joy in your life? Reading. Reading this. Reading. Reading and writing, probably. I mean, my joy. family, of course, and my friends. But I mean, like, the way she other... said that. my family. No, 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 I mean, I feel like that's <laughs> like kidding. understood. It's like that's sure, always sure. like, let's, can we stipulate yeah. to the fact that um, people are the most important? But in terms of activities, reading and writing, reading and writing brings definitely. the most joy. I mean, I, I am a person of very narrow interests. I like, that's basically the only thing I like to do is read and write. Is there anything that you're uh, afraid to write about? Interesting question. Um, I wouldn't write about something that would cause extreme distress to somebody close to me. You mean revealing something or talk about them in a way that would hurt them or... Right. And actually, like nothing's really happened in my life. There's nothing I would disclose. There's no secret that I would reveal. But if I was going to be like snarky... I mean, one mm-hmm. of the things that I'm sure as a writer, you felt this mm-hmm. too. You can get your digs in. Like there's sometimes, you know, you're like... Or, or, or even to characterize something. I mean, it's it's interesting to me, but... Um, like my husband never reads anything that I write, which some people find shocking. I totally get it because it's like going inside someone's head in a way. It feels like in a way you've you've crossed a barrier that's usually there. And I think for my husband, that just gives him the heebie-jeebies. So I wouldn't want to write something that would be really, you know, just for whatever reason, some observation or something that would just be hurtful to somebody. Yeah. I write about happiness. I don't want to create tremendous unhappiness to the people I love by... Mm-hmm saying something but aj jacobs told me a good trick this is good for any aspiring writers out there i just got a new book in the mail today actually. Yeah, yeah i love aj jacobs <laughs> he's, he's the funniest guy and so he writes because he writes a lot of um like celebrity not so much now but at one point he was writing a lot of celebrity profiles and um and he also writes um a lot about his own family he's written unflattering things about members of his own mm. family and i was like well how did that go over and he said well i've learned this that if whenever you write about somebody you write about in some way that they're very attractive they will forgive you anything so it's like <laughs> he said all these kind of mean things about one member of his family but he was like described him as lean or something like that and he's like oh all is forgiven all so, is forgiven yeah 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 so but i don't want to get into that kind of thing what about um any other fears that you have right now that you're facing? Since you're so focused on happiness a lot and mm-hmm. talking about these things, is there anything that you're afraid of tackling? Any topics you're afraid of tackling? 
It's funny. I don't really, I don't know. I'd have to think about that because what I feel more is like the pull to write about so many mm-hmm. things. And I guess my fear is like, I don't want to commit to something that's not big enough. Like uh. lately I've been wanting to write little books. Like I wrote this little book, which I haven't dealt with, which I'm going to do once, the, uh, once the four tendencies is sort of out in the world, um, called outer order, inner calm, which is all about just sort of like outer order, which is just a subject that I love. It's a, it's little. So outer it's a, order. Yeah, because one of my one of my secrets of adulthood is that outer order contributes to inner calm mm. more than it should for most people. Mm. Not for everyone, certainly, but for most people, they feel more energetic, they feel calmer, they feel more creative when there's orderliness in their environment. Cleanliness, order. But it, which for different people, some people want like absolutely nothing on their desk. Some people want neat piles. I mean, mm. some people love abundance. They like profusion, but they but nobody likes to have a lot of junk around or a lot yeah. of trash or like a bunch of stuff they don't use anymore. They don't even like, what is this cable? I don't even know. Yeah. It's just sitting there because I'm scared to throw it away because maybe it's useful, but I haven't used it in two years. But what do you do? You know, it's just, it's just on the counter. Get rid of that. Um so I have all these like little books. And so I'm like, well, should I do a big book next or should I do a little book? I had this idea for this. I, I'm like, I've been obsessed with the subject of color. I'm like, really? I want to write a little book about color, which has nothing to do with anything and no one will read it except for me. But I just feel this compulsion to write a little book about color. So I'm sort of like trying to figure out, usually I'm hit by a lightning bolt and I know what I want to write and I feel this compulsion to tackle a subject. Um, and right now, I'm feeling pulled in a lot of different directions. So mm. that's what I'm trying to figure out. So you're like, not sure. Because they all feel interesting. And so I'm like, mm, what do I do next? That's what I'm trying to figure out. How many times a day do you get, what do you, what's next? When you come out of the book, do you get that a lot? Two, a lot, two right? or three. What's yeah. next? This is out right yeah. now. Yeah, I know. But what's next? I know. I know. It's like, you're this like, is what yeah, I'm focused yeah, on. Yeah, you're like, what's next? This. Yes, yes. But a look about, little book about color, I kind of yeah. like that uh, idea. Yeah. No, I'm obsessed with color. Well, one of the things I need to write first is a Four Tendencies quiz for children. This is something that I've been Ooh. really, ever since um, the book has sort of been on the horizon, many, many people have asked me to write uh, a quiz for, because I have this quiz, which is at happiercast.com slash quiz. It's a short quiz for adults. Happiercast? Happiercast.com slash quiz. It's where you can get the one for adults. Yes. This quiz. Yeah, and I'm coming up on a million people having taken it, which is amazing. I know, huge number of people have taken it. That's a lot of data, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I had to do a national, I had to do a representative sample because of course the people taking the quiz, it's a a biased sample, so Mm. you couldn't use that. But um, but I did do a a representative sample just to solve for that problem. But so many people have said, oh, will you create one for children? It's it's a challenge because, of course, an eight-year-old is different from an 18-year-old. So I need to sit. But but so many people, uh, either readers or podcast listeners of the Happier Podcast, have sent me suggestions like teachers and parents and coaches and instructors of scenarios that might be work for children. But I need to sit down and do that. It won't take long, but it's going to take a lot of concentration because it's yeah, tricky. It's a lot. Writing the quiz took a long time. It's hard to think of scenarios that are universal enough that a lot of people respond to them, but that also show you the difference between the four tendencies. Mm-hmm. It was a big intellectual challenge. Wow. And what are the most of the people take the quiz from in the, the adult version? Is it from the U.S. mostly, or is it from all the world? It's all over the world. I think it's mostly from the U.S., but um, but no, I get people all the time from other other mm-hmm. other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever feel like you're going to run out of things to write about? No, I don't feel like that. No. You have like a list of a million ideas. I that do. Fall back on, I really? do. I do feel like I have a million things, and then and then things occur to me, like the four tendencies. I mean, so I was writing better than before, which was all about the twenty-one strategies we can use to make or break our habits, and it was in trying to understand 
how people successfully transform habits that I stumbled into the four tendencies. So I had no idea that I was even going to write about it until that Mm -hmm. book came out and people were just deluging me with questions about Mm -hmm. the four tendencies. And finally I was like, well, this is the book that I need to write next. Um, So it was, it wasn't part of sort of a long trajectory. It kind of popped into view. Do you ever feel like your podcast has taken off in a big way? Do you ever feel like your books will become less read and your podcast will become more popular? And does that scare you that your writing is going to be less relevant or meaningful to less people? Central. Yeah, or just like, oh, why read when I can just listen? Well, that's interesting that you say that because I have been very struck. Because uh, your podcast is blowing up. You know, yeah, the, the Happier Podcast is, yes. And a lot of people will say, like, they clearly know me first as a podcaster. Really? They know you first uh, as yeah, a podcaster? Yeah, and then they're like, oh, and then I went and read your books or something really? like that. Whereas for me, my, my, my book identity is my central identity uh-huh. and my, my identity as a writer, to me, is central. But um, what I've started to see is really... I want to reach people however they want to be reached. And, and some people want to read a book and some people want to watch a live video and some people mm-hmm. want to listen to a podcast and some people want to read a blog post. Um, and a lot of times, you know, at one time in your life, uh, something makes sense. And then at another time, you realize something else mm-hmm. makes sense or you have a certain, like, let's say you're walking your dog. Well, walking your dog is a great time to listen to a podcast. It's not a great time to read a book or watch a video. Right. Um, and, so now, oh, you have a new puppy. Well, guess what? You've got a lot of time to listen to podcasts or you've got a new long commute. But then let's say you don't have a commute. You're, you're, now you've moved to New York City and you're on the train. Mm-hmm. Well, this is great. You have so much more time to read. So yeah. now you're going to read. So yeah. I want to be able to reach people wherever they want to be in whatever form they like to get ideas. Um, for me, writing, it, the thing about writing is you can get it exactly right. You know, when you're speaking, unless you script it out, it's not exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't find the perfect verb the way if you're writing, you can be like, oh, first I had, you know, ask, then I had grill, then I had demand. Like you can get it exactly the right word and you can lay out a big idea. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've heard about the four tendencies is we talk about it a lot on the podcast, um, on the Happier podcast. And I, it was a chapter in Better Than Before. And now people are saying to me, I thought I knew all about it. Because I've heard you talk about it. I read better than before. But now it's laid out in so much more nuance and complexity. Mm-hmm. Because a book, you can really get into those yeah. subtleties that it's very hard to do in other forms. There's mm-hmm. All media have their strengths. And for a book, a big idea to really communicate um, yeah. at many levels, it, you need to do that through writing. Now, The Happiness Project, was that four books ago? Three books ago. That was four books ago, and that was your was that your most sell, your most popular book, your yes. biggest selling. That was the one that yeah most people identified me with. Yeah, and how does how do you feel when you come out with a you have this mega hit? I think you got a couple million copies sold, yeah. or right? Yeah, mega hit, and everyone identifies you as that person. How do you feel as a writer when you still have new ideas? Uh. When people still associate you with that one idea and you feel like, well, maybe I'm not selling as well with these new books uh, or maybe that'll be my best book or uh-huh. most sold book. Uh-huh. Do you have those conversations with yourself of, I think of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, this, right. Yeah. She's like, yeah. my, my greatest book yeah. is behind me. 
Like, I'll never sell 10 million copies yeah. of a book again, probably. Right. M- maybe. Right. But most likely not. Right. I'm going to go to the Oscars again. Right. <laughs> um, well, you know, that's interesting because I never really thought about that. I mean, to me, I, feel, I still feel very close to the Happiness Project. So it doesn't, and it feels very integrated into what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, I think sometimes if you've really moved on and you're in a totally different subject, maybe that feels like a chapter of your life or so. you know, like... It's sort of like uh, your former self. Mm. And when you're asked to talk about it, it's like being an employee of your former self. It's not like who you are right now. Whereas for me, the things that I talked about in the Happiness Project are still things that are very much part of what I'm talking about now. Yeah. And so it all feels very integrated to me. And it's exciting to me that so many people um, read it or recognize it, but it feels very much of a piece of what I'm still interested in. I could see how that would be difficult if you were... Because I have, I know a lot of nonfiction writers, and for many nonfiction writers, the pleasure comes from, oh, I'm going to learn all about this, and then I'm going to learn all about that, and I'm going to go from kind of one world to another world. So that could be discouraging if you felt like everybody cared about this, but nobody cares about that. But for me, they all feel very tied together. But one of the interesting things, though, in reading, looking at the Happiness Project in retrospect, is the thing that puzzled me when that book came out is so many people said to me. But how did you get yourself to do all those things? How did you get yourself to keep all those resolutions? And I said, well, I just, I made resolutions that I thought would make me happier. And then if they did make me happier, I kept them. And they were, then they would, they would just look puzzled and they would say, right, but how did you get yourself to do them? I was like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Now I know I'm an upholder. This is what upholders are good at setting out or meeting out or an inner expectation. So of course it was easy for me. So now I understand like what all those people were saying. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like I should write an epilogue. Like, by the way, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, how the heck do I get myself to put down my device? And she makes it sound so easy. I'm like, okay, now I have an answer for you. That's your next podcast. Yeah. There you go. Right. (laughs) Your podcast. Talk about it. Yeah. 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 Um, what would you say has been the biggest transformation for you from your first book to this book? Well, adding the podcast was a huge new aspect of my identity. Because um, now some people are finding you just from the podcast yes. and they never read a book of yours, yes. right? Yeah. So that's interesting. That's probably the biggest transformation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Is this whole new... Because I was a blogger, you know, and I did the whole, you know, South by Southwest and, 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 and the world of podcasting really reminds me of the world of blogging at a certain mm-hmm. point. But blogging is much closer to writing, whereas I feel like podcasting is a whole different... It's much more performative. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been a big transformation. And I do it with my sister. So this is a collaboration, whereas as a writer, I always work by myself. So that's been really exciting to have like a partner mm-hmm. um, and to do, do something with her, which yeah. has been tremendously gratifying. And it's also just like a different way of working. That's really yeah. nice. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself since launching the podcast? That I say like too much. Yeah. When you hear yourself yeah, back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know. Gosh, I, know. I know. I know. Yes. You say I know too much. Also. I know. There you go. Yeah, yes. Everybody's got their tick there. I know. They're... I'm sure Christine yeah. edits out everything yeah. of all my ticks all the time, bro. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe she doesn't. I don't listen to any of my episodes. So, oh, that's interesting. I, I can't listen to them. I listen to him because I do the show notes. Well, Christine does it all. Okay, so she does thankfully, it. So, yeah. she, okay, so you don't have to listen. She edits it. She listens. I record and then I pass it to her and then I promote it. Uh-huh. I share it out. I think maybe I listened to like a couple of them like with Tony Robbins or something the first time I had him on or something where I was like, ooh, I want to hear this. Like, yeah. See how it sounded, yeah. you know, because yeah. I was so nervous yeah. or in the moment. Have you ever gone back to listen to like your first or your second episode? Did you hear <laughs> I'm terrified of listening oh, yeah? to them. I'm terrified. One of them was on my iPhone. Yeah. And it's just like loud noises all around. And yeah. 
Keeping it real. I don't think I have. Have I? No. She's like that would be a good. That would be a good. You should do that for like a big anniversary, like like for your six hundredth episode. Play the first one. I'll probably just cringe. So I I can't believe I did this. I do high intensity weight training, and one uh, one day my trainer was like, "I'm going to set you at the weights that you trained at when you first came to this gym." And I was just like, they were whipping. I mean, I had gotten, yeah. and it was so, it was exciting to realize how much stronger that I had gotten. Great. So I think sometimes it's good to go back and look where you started. The progress. Because you forget, you know, with, like when you're making gradual change, sometimes it's easy to forget to say, wow, look, I really have learned or really yeah. have improved or I really have created, um, you know, move forward. What's the biggest skill you would say that you've acquired since doing the podcast or like the, not, not being aware that you say like a lot, yeah, but yeah. something that you've like, like a big lesson. One of the lessons that I've learned is that it's very hard to predict what's going to resonate most with people. And it's always, because sometimes my sister and I will be like, oh, we think this is something that pe- we're going to get a big response to. And then it's, wah, wah. Yeah. And, then, and sometimes <laughs> we're right. And then sometimes it's just like people. So just to take the most mundane example. So my sister, so in the podcast, we always give our, we take turns giving ourselves a demerit, which is some mistake that we've made that has, that has uh, uh-huh. dragged down our happiness. So it's like, learn a lesson. You made a mistake, do better next time. So one of the things Elizabeth gave herself a demerit was she had a, like 40 children to a six-year-old's birthday party and she didn't write everybody a thank you note. And I was like, I contest that demerit because I don't think you should have to do that. I would not expect myself to do that. They gave you the presents in person. He thanked them in person. It's just totally unrealistic to do this. So I mean, 40 handwritten 40 like, handwritten thank you notes. I'm like, That's I just, a lot of work. no, as an, as an upholder, I'm like, I just simply would not expect myself to do that. And, and so, and this was just like a drive-by conversation that we had, you know? It wasn't meant to be like, ooh, this is the centerpiece of this conversation. And we were flooded. It turns out that people have so many nuanced views about thank you notes, written thank Receiving you notes. Gifts yeah, and what yes. To do. I mean, it turned, and it was just this giant thing. And you realize, I was like, I'm walking through the world having no idea about how people think about things. And here's how this happens too, like with being an upholder. So one of the things about upholders is they're very good at saying like, sorry, I can't do that. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I got to go for my run or I'm sorry, I can't stay out late. I got to go to bed on time. Um, And that can make them seem cold. Mm -hmm. But what it means is that they're very, they're very good at sort of saying to people, you're pushing too hard or I can't meet, I can't meet that expectation. And I, what I didn't realize is, and I, and I knew intellectually that for obligers particularly, it's difficult to do that. But then I found out, okay, so I've been sending work emails over the weekend mm. and it had literally never crossed my mind not to do that. It wasn't like I was like, I thought about it and I decided it was okay. It was like, it never occurred to me not to send work emails over the weekend because my view was read it over the weekend if you want, answer it over the weekend right. if you want. Or if you want to wait till Monday week. morning, that's fine too. Like whatever, you like whatever works for you is fine. I just want to get it off my plate. I'm thinking about it. I'm just going to email you so I don't have to worry about it. So I discover, because this comes up kind of sideways in a conversation on the podcast with Elizabeth, and then we're flooded with emails with people being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. My boss is always sending me emails or, you know, or my coworkers are sending me these emails. It drives me crazy. I'm so resentful. It's like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. And so many kind listeners um, told me how to use delay delivery in Outlook, which I now know how to do. And so wow. now I delay delivery until and really? like floods of emails go out at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. You'll write it and then you'll put archive it. Or yeah, I, I, no, I just put it delay. You just set delay delivery oh, really? and it you will can just delay it. yeah yeah and it will Gmail. just go. Uh, no, I do it well. Outlook. Okay, is what gotcha. I do. How I do it. Gotcha. Um, but this was something where I didn't know that this was a thing. 
because it it's not a thing for me. So yeah. I didn't know that I was like tripping this wire in other people's heads. Because you're very entrepreneurial. So well, I'm just like, as... what? A, yeah, yeah. I'm not working in a, an official team. It's like a bunch of different people sort of cobbled together. I mean, do you, I'm not anybody's boss, but you know, it's, so it's so I'm in kind of a. It's not like there's an office policy where we all sit down and say like, oh, we're all going to commit to not to taking a real break. So I really learned something from that conversation. Again, kind of accidentally got into this territory of how the four tendencies come into play, self-knowledge, understanding how other people respond to things. And I did not see it coming at all. So one part of it is you just don't know. Don't know. Yeah. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. What's been the most popular episode ever? Well, in my mind, the most popular episode is episode 10, which was way back in the beginning, which is when we recorded me cleaning my sister's closet in Encino, California. It was just like me cleaning out her closet. I laugh every time. If I'm feeling blue, I go listen to that one because it was so funny. Um, but for then you, I, it's the most popular. For me, it's the most popular. That's the one that's most popular for What's me. What's the and most downloaded one? Do you know? I don't know. Well, we did for our hundredth, for our um, for our one year and two year uh, anniversary, we did like a roundup show that was like highlights, and so those are super popular just because those are like best of. Episodes. That's cool. Yeah, we got to do more of those. They are really fun to do. Like every fifty, we should do like the top ten moments. You know what I mean? It we is. Should. I think it's nice. We also did it because um, for people who are coming new and they don't know where to start, it's always kind of nice to have like a, you know, like... You can pick and choose which one you want yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, where do you start? Okay, we'll start with this one. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's right. What would you say you think about the most? What do I think about the most? Isn't that an interesting question? Oh my gosh, that's so thought-provoking. I think about... Um, I mean, I think about people. I'm like, why are you, you know, like I'll read a memoir and I'll be, you know, like that's why did he do this or why, why did this happen? Or, um, I don't know. I'm always sort of looking up, looking, looking up for these patterns. It's funny. I take a lot of notes. I take gigantic amount of notes and use a notepad or do you use an iPad? No, 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 no. I, well, no, I, I type it into my desktop. Um, computer notes. No, my, my, my handwriting is so bad. I cannot, I cannot. (laughs) I look like a. Six-year-old child. I know. I can't. And you can't. You can't read it. I'm like, well, that's no good. Um, and sometimes, uh, often, I will take it, take notes on something that I don't understand why I think it's important. You know, like I'll be like, I don't know why that just seems like that just seems notable, literally notable. So I take a note about it, and then sometimes months, weeks, years later, it will become clear to me why something is meaningful. Um, and. Uh, I mean, like, for example, with the Four Tendencies, there was this Stephen Spender. Stephen Spender, who's a poet, wrote an autobiography. And as just kind of in passing, he was like, oh, and as happens with many soldiers, all his inner discipline had been destroyed by the discipline of the army or something like that, something to that effect. And I remember writing that down and being like, huh, huh, I wonder what's up with that. Like, is that true? Does the army destroy inner discipline by putting in outer discipline? Like... 
if it's true about the army, is it true about other institutions? Do I think this is right? Is Steven Spender right or wrong? Like, you know, I just kind of pondered it for years. And I didn't, I'm like, why do I even care? And then, of course, it fits perfectly into the four tendencies because it's like it's yeah. a, it's about meeting expectations and like and how expectations are met or not met. Um, so I was like, you know, years later, it was like, oh, mystery solved. But somehow I'd picked up on that there was something mm-hmm. striking there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time looking for stuff like that. Like, yeah, I'm always on the lookout. Interesting stuff. Yeah. No notable things. Yeah. Yeah, like I just read Phil Knight's memoir about Ooh, shoe dog. I want to read that. It's good. I, heard I read it, it on an airplane <laughs> uh, on a business trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not, but yeah, but as pleasure. And yeah, no, it's really good. Several people had said like, "Oh, you should just read it. It's such a good memoir." And it's really interesting because you're like, "Hmm, interesting guy, interesting choices." What are what are three books you think everyone should read besides your own? Um, I think everybody should read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It's a towering classic of world literature, but it's also like an incredibly compelling page turner. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's thought provoking. It's haunting. Um, see, a lot of the a lot of my favorite books are books that I can't, in good conscience, suggest that other people read because they're not to every like. I love Samuel Johnson, but he's an 18th century okay. essayist, and that's just not or like Benjamin Franklin's autobiography i love it love it love it love it is everybody ready to read a book by a founding father Mm. it's not that accessible to all readers so those are some books that i would recommend um but i'm you know it's hard to i don't know i love so many books it's just like my mind i'm just staggering under the weight of everything how many do you think you've read oh a lot i read a lot thousands yes for sure yeah yeah, it's like all, all I like to do. I don't. <laughs> I'm not well rounded, so if that's basically all you do, uh, what's something about you that almost no one knows about you, uh, except for maybe your family? Uh, well, I drink a ton of caffeine, Co- coffee, tea, diet coke. But anybody who comes into anybody who's near me knows that. Mm-hmm. So what's like some secret thing? Mm, I don't know. I don't. Gosh, I have to think about these things. Um, I failed the national math exam in high school. Whoa. Yes. I was an A <laughs> student in math because I just learned, and, and, and I failed, because the, men, the way the national math exam works, it's like, uh, and I think the SAT used to work like this. I don't think it does anymore. You got, a, you got a base score of 200, and if you got something wrong, you got more points deducted than if you left it blank. Mm-hmm. So if you left, if you walked in put in your name and walked out, you would have 200 points. I had less than 200 points because I'd gotten so many wrong. So I go in to talk to my math teacher. I think I was a junior or senior. And I was like, how do you explain this? Because I am an A student in math and I like could not do this. And he goes, well, Gretchen, you don't really understand math. You're just memorizing how to do it. And I was literally like, I didn't know that there was any other thing to do. I, I thought that everybody just memorized how to do math. I didn't like, it, it was so far out of my conception that you could right. understand math. And that's what this test was meant to do. You had to kind of uh, improvise. You had to solve problems. You had to apply math knowledge, which I was completely unable to do. Mm. So, but fortunately for me, I do not need to do high school math in my current everyday life. <laughs> I'd be screwed. Yes, I know. I, yeah. Elementary yeah. school math, I'd be I, screwed. I know. Yeah, I'm like, like the, the calculator and the phone is like a major bone, boon to mankind. As far I, as I remember I was sick. For, I think I had like the measles or something. I had some, some weird disease when I was like a kid. 
Is measles even a thing anymore? Yeah, People chicken have pox. That? I don't think yeah. so. But I you could measles. you could have had chicken pox. Oh, I really? Had measles. Yes. Really? That's very pox. retro. Yeah. It okay. was like I was seven or something, and mm-hmm. I remember I missed like fractions that week. Uh oh. And they come up a lot. Fractions, right? <laughs> yeah. I missed the whole like week or two weeks of this, and I go back to school, and they're going over fractions, and it's just like I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah get caught up and it was like I never got caught up for the rest of my life yes it was like that one thing held yeah. me I was like no. then it was algebra then it was whatever it was next and I was just like I, I just give up no I'm just gonna cheat on everything no just to get by no it's like with a like a language if you're like I never really got the subjunctive you're like mm, you kind of have to get that under your belt before yeah. you can move forward yeah, yeah no it is it's that kind of um uh, it's tricky incremental knowledge yeah what would you say is the thing you're most proud of that people don't know about you Oh, um, I'm most proud something of. that you've done or been a part of that people don't know about. Maybe. Well, I was editor in chief of the Yale Law Journal when in law school, which is like a previous identity that I had. And that I which was school Yale Law School. Yale Law School. Yeah, oh, that's a pretty uh, big deal. Yeah, and and mm. that was I was very I was very proud of that. I have to say that was that was. And that's something that's just like now is not really relevant to my life, so people don't know it. Yale but, yeah. Law. Yeah, yeah. You're a lawyer? Or you went to the yeah, law no, school? Yeah, no, no, and I clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor. But a lot of wow. people know that I clerked for Sandra huh. Day O'Connor, so that's not something that's not wow, known. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I have a whole lawyerly past. Wow. Which I Lawyers try- are great writers. Well, Usually, it's funny. Right? It's funny because sometimes people will be like, lawyer turned writer, Gretchen Rubin. I'm like, is there a deadlier phrase that you can use <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. to describe anybody? It sounds so boring, right? Lawyer turned writer. Um, and in fact, I have a couple of friends who are writers who like won't admit that they went to law school. I'm like, you went to law school, right? And they're like, mm, yeah, I keep that under Didn't my Didn't Jonathan Fields go to law school too? Wasn't yeah, no, he was like a lawyer. Well, not 20 years. Rich Roll was a lawyer. Yes, he taught. He practiced real law like, for real time. Long time. Yeah, he did. I mean, I was only there for like two years, three years. Yeah. Um, so I got out pretty quick. But yeah, no, there's a lot of us actually. You're right. Huh. There's a lot of us um, because I think a lot of people, and I think this this absolutely describes me, is a lot of people go to law school, not because they want to be lawyers, but because they're like, well, I'm good at research and writing and it's a great education and it keeps my options open and I can always change my mind later. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of kind of writerly people who go to it. That's but cool. then the fact is, I know a lot of people who love being lawyers, but they're people who want to be lawyers. Really? You know? Yeah. It's like, if you want to be a lawyer, then you're happy being a lawyer. But if you didn't want to be a lawyer in the first place, it's like... Well, that may not work out. Yeah. Like people don't become sound engineers by drifting into it. It's like you pick that, you know, but a lot of people drift into law. That's true. A lot of people drift into medicine. This is something that I've learned since um, in my in recent years, which I was surprised by. It seems so arduous to be a, do- a doctor. Seems like a lot of work. It does. And so I would think like, well, you'd have to want to be. And also it's sort of you just squeamishness and things like that. But a lot of people are like, oh, both my parents were doctors. You know, everybody I know is a doctor. I'm really good at math, you know, math and sciences. And people always said, oh, you should be a doctor. So I just sort of stumbled into it. I'm like, wow, that is a long road. I feel like you'd want to just have, have a passion for like helping people. Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. And that's why you choose to be a doctor, but. Well, but a lot of people drift into it. It's interesting because every year I give a talk to um, this group of first-year students, first-year medical students, and it was been surprising to me how often they're kind of like, eh, you know, I'm sort of here. Crazy. I know. I'm like, this is a lot of time and energy and money, my friends. Like, I would get clarity on that right now, mm. you know? Don't go all the way down this road. What's the What's the dream you've always wanted to... Mm. do that you haven't done yet Ooh, have my own television show i think that would be fun about what 
happiness. How to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. What are you, what are you waiting for? Uh, I don't know. I like. I don't know. I have to. I should pursue that. Why do you want to have a TV show? Just because it'd be another way to reach a lot of people. Yeah. It's like it's a very very strong medium. Probably What's... the strongest medium right now. I mean, if you say television to mean video content delivered to people on a screen, because mm-hmm. even the word television now, it's like, it's I, I know somebody who's like, oh, we don't have televisions in our house. And I'm like, yeah, but I know your daughter watches five hours of video content. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. fact that it's not called a television YouTube set, or it's whatever, the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So why is that a big dream for you? Just because you want to reach more people? Yeah, I just think it'd be fun. It's like a new world to conquer. What's it going to take to make that happen? Well, I'd probably have to sit down and think about it, first of all. Cool. Yeah. All right. What yeah. would be the ideal network or placement for this show? Oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. No. Yeah. What about PBS special? Doing something like that, getting it started. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Aren't there a lot of authors that start with yeah. like PBS and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cool. It's all changing very fast. I mean, it that's is. one of the things that's... Tr- and all of it. I mean... Television, radio, podcasting, publishing, crazy. internet, you know, magazines. There's like magazines, crazy what's happening there. It's all happening so fast, which is exciting because you do feel like you could get in there and really have fun and do new, innovative things and ha- maybe have opportunities that you wouldn't have had like five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's changing so fast, you really feel like you need to keep abreast of a lot of changes because everything, it's not so clear. How to get from A to B because B is not where it was. Mm-hmm. It could change in a year. It could change. It could change. I mean, even something like Facebook. How do you use Facebook? I mean, that changes constantly. Constantly. Constantly how you use Facebook. I mean, I, I want to dissect this and we'll wrap it up with a few final questions, but I want to dissect this with books, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, TV. What other main mediums are we consuming? I guess social media, but kind of the traditional, the traditional stuff. Radio. Newspapers, magazines, books, podcasts, TV. Well, podcasts isn't traditional. It's True, new. it's been around for ten years. It's been kind of like <laughs> yeah, that's been right now. It's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's like legacy media <laughs> right podcasts. Right yeah, I know. It's like what do you what do you see is in the future if you can kind of you know predict what do you think is going to continue to accelerate? Are books going to continue to be popular for people, or is it going to be more digital books? Is Podcasts going to be more popular than radio? Is newspapers completely dead? Are magazines still going to be relevant? What do you think is going to be the most relevant media? Well, the thing is with all these things, it seems to me like people want to create it and people want to consume it. The problem is how do you get paid for it? Yeah. So people want to write books and people want to read books. How do people get paid to write books? Because that's changing. People love to read news articles and people love to write news articles. But how do you get the payment to the people who are writing them mm-hmm. because like, because there's so much changing in the world of advertising or just, or, you know, how, what you could charge, what can you charge for a book? What is the right price for a book? It's hard to know. So I feel like I don't even really know. I, and I feel like we don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. if people, you know, people describe Snapchat to you, would you be like, Oh, this is going to be a big thing. You'd be like, what is that? <laughs> like, there's no chance that's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of that? And then it's this huge thing. And it might rise and fall in the space of two or three years. So I don't know. I think we don't even know ourselves. It's just like the smartphone. Until the smartphone was invented, we had no idea of many things that we now crave and feel like are fundamental right. Yeah. Um, But so, I mean, what's going to, you know, what about 
augmented reality stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's that is like a whole new world. How are driverless cars going to affect media consumption? I, went, I feel like that's going to be a big change. I drove my, uh, a Tesla from San Diego to LA. Someone drove it, and I was sitting in the passenger seat. Yeah. It was like a service, like a yeah. Tesla loop thing it's called. It's like Uber for Tesla. Oh, okay. It's like a, kind of a higher-end huh. service or whatever. And the guy literally just takes his hand off the wheel and is driving for like an hour in the, the lane. And it is, it's unbelievable. It's slowed down. So you're always three to four lengths behind the car in front of you. Were you nervous? I was like, this is quick because there were some turns. And he's like, no, it picks it up. It like all those sensors pick up the lane you're in and everything. And I was just like, he was just on his phone. Just like, you're kidding. I swear to you. Like no feet, no hands. Just kind of like, yeah, you can just be on your phone. You can do this. Like the car's got it handled. I was like, so this he is didn't crazy. even really need to be there, or he had to get you like Didn't on really, there and off. Yeah, there. it's like turning lanes or something. You know, it's okay. like you, you turn the lanes yourself. You do some other things, but okay. essentially, you could just put cruise control and push a button, and then you say, "Yeah, I want to be like seven lengths behind, car lengths behind," and uh-huh. it like goes back to seven or whatever. Wow, it was that's the future. It was amazing. I was like, "This is cool. If it works, you know, yeah, it's cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was crazy. Crazy. So, anyways, uh, we're going off here. I know, but uh, but so but I think that that I mean, if you could be in a anytime you're in a car, you could be watching a movie or reading a book or writing a book, not stressing about traffic. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just it's hard to imagine like what that's going to do to people's possibilities to their yeah, because I mean. People love it. I mean, they yeah. have this, we have this insatiable desire for information, for stories, you know, for entertainment, for education. And um, it's just going to be a whole, you know, a whole new opportunity to yeah. do it. So where's where that going to go? I don't know. Oh, crazy. Do you feel like it's becoming easier for you to write and get your message out there because you've had success in the past? Or do you feel like because there's so much more competition, uh. it's harder to get your message out there for a new book. Whereas maybe 10 years ago when you had a book and it was like, oh, if you get it in the cover yeah. of the New York Times, it's like right. going to blow up and that's yeah. all you need and you're a bestseller. And now, well, I don't know, is there yeah. a million books a year yeah. that come yeah. out? And so yeah. it's like, how do you compete with all these other topics and people? Well, funnily enough, I think both are true. I think mm-hmm. both of your both of your alternatives are true. I think it is easier for me to get my word out because I do have kind of more known. Yeah. yeah. And that, but then on the other hand, I think it is hard because there's just so much, um, stuff that is tugging at people's attention. Um, and people aren't all showing up at the same places the way they once were. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're bo- both are true simultaneously. Um, what are you doing differently as an author to get your message out there then to make uh, sure that your books are being, you know, getting in the hands of people. And well, one thing, that I really strive to do is to have a direct connection with my readers and listeners. I want to directly connect with them. So I don't want to have to depend on the New York times to book, to review yeah. my book for you to hear about it. Cause so I, I think you were just in there. I saw, right. You had like a big cover. The wall street journal. Wall street journal. That was yeah. great. Thank you. Congrats. Yes. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. It was a big picture. <laughs> I was huge. It was like full page. It was, and my mother was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, so, but that's what I think having is, a direct connection with them, is yeah. having the direct connection because then you're not dependent on these on these uh, middlemen who might 
support you might not it might not be the right thing for them so they're not going to pick it up maybe like every nobody's looking at this anymore it doesn't have the social power that it once had yeah. it doesn't have it doesn't command the same attention that it once had so you've got to but it, you know it's like and then even to do that people are like oh the email list no people aren't answering their emails oh you got to have a facebook group. you know all these that itself is is evolving all the time how do you maintain yeah. a direct constantly connection with changing people? yeah but i'm lucky because my subject it's like when people People have given me so much insight and, and observation and examples. Um, so I think for some writers, they, in their heart of hearts, they feel like it's a distraction to be connected to, to readers and mm. listeners because they're sort of like, well, I just need to go up and do my thing. But for me, it's just, it's so illuminating. Like The feedback. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, it's just like with the four tendencies, it's crammed with examples of people. And I could never have invented those examples because I just don't have the range of experience. You know, like there's one, it was a woman talking about being a missionary, uh, LDS missionary. I don't know what that was like. And here she has, or, you know, or somebody like a doctor talking about like examining different kinds of patients. Well, I don't know what that's like. Um, and so, but so it's kind of jump starts my understanding of yeah. ideas because people are constantly, or like, I remember with better than before, I talked about how some people are abstainers and some people are moderators when it comes to strong temptation that some people, for some people, it's easier to have none than to have a little bit. So when I first introduced this idea, which I got from Samuel Johnson, by the way, um, speaking of Samuel Johnson, I thought I was in the very, very small minority. I never heard anybody talking about this, except in the except in the uh, context of addiction, true addiction, alcohol addiction, cigarette addiction. There, people are like, "Yeah, you have to give it up altogether." But with everything else, people are like, uh, "Indulge a little bit. Moderation sure. is pleasant to the wise. It's not <laughs> healthy to be too rigid." All this stuff, and I was like, "You know what? I can't hack it. It's too hard for me to have moderation." And then I was overwhelmed with people being like, oh my gosh, I'm exactly like you. I didn't know that there was, I thought it was just me. I thought something was wrong with me. My husband kept telling me I should be able to have, you know, one brownie or my doctor kept telling me to have half a dish of ice cream or, you know, my, you know, my best friend can have half a glass of wine. Why yeah. can't I? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, this is the way some people are. I'm like this. And I, and it was so reassuring for me to realize, oh, there's a ton of people like this. Yeah. Maybe half the world is like this. I don't know. I can't mm -hmm. never really tell the numbers. But the I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have understood that truth if I hadn't heard from people responding to it and saying, yes, this is how I experience this, you know, or not. And uh, so I feel really lucky that for me, it really feeds what my work. Sure. It's not sure. a distraction. Yeah, that's great. Okay, final four questions for you. Okay. Is this a lightning round? Uh, maybe. No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, the first one is, what's the question you wish everyone asked you, that, but they never do? Ooh, you're asking all these thought-provoking questions that I feel like I should have thought about <laughs> for a month. Uh, what question do I wish... More people would ask. No, oh, yeah, where can we, where can listeners learn more about your stuff? I like it when people <laughs> ask that question. Um, GretchenRubin.com. Uh, what question do I wish people would ask me? I wish they would ask a meaning meaningful question. No, no, no. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a meaningful question. That, I don't know. I get good questions. Mm -hmm. um, then what's your favorite question that you get? How can the four tendencies? help people be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Cause I feel like that's like goes to the heart of it. Cause it's like it, the whole point of this is to make your life better. It's not just mm -hmm. to, it's just not idle curiosity though. Idle curiosity is fine too. I think sure, sometimes sure. it's like a Buzzfeed quiz. It's fun. Yes. It's fun. Yes. It's fun to have a, have vocabulary and to sort of put yourself in a, in a category. But, um, do you feel like we answered that question? Yeah, I think okay, we did. Okay, good. Just make yeah. sure. No, <laughs> you got there right away. Good, good, yes. Good. That's why I hesitated um, to bring it up. Cool. All right, well, this is called The Three Truths. I can't remember if I asked you the last time, but we'll ask you it again. 
uh, if this was the last day for you on earth, many years from now, you've written every book you want to do. You did that big TV show that you always dreamed about. Anything else you imagine, it came true. Okay. Everything. And yet it was all erased from history. All Uh your books are gone. Uh No one has access to any information you've ever put out there. Podcast, vanish. Uh And you had a piece of paper and a pen Uh to write down the three lessons or the Uh three truths that you knew to be true about all your experiences in life. Ah. This is the only thing that would be remembered by you, these three truths. Okay. What are they? What would you write down? Okay, the first would be be Gretchen. That's my first personal commandment, to be Gretchen. Everybody has to fill in their own name, but I think that is the that is at the core of a happy, healthy, productive life. Be Know yourself, be yourself. One is the days are long, but the years are short, which is like remember that everything passes. Enjoy it while it lasts. And the third thing is one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. One of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. Ta-da! Three like truths. Those. Okay, those good. good. Yeah. Those are good. Uh, well, <laughs> well, before I ask the final question, uh, I want to acknowledge you for a moment for helping so many people heal themselves uh, because yeah. I feel like people suffer when they don't feel happy. Yeah. They're suffering, they're going through pain, and when they don't know how to get out of it, they don't know how to find happiness within, Yeah, they continue the suffering in other people and they create suffering around them. Yes. So you've impacted so many people through giving them simple tools to make them heal and find happiness and joy, and it's spreading throughout the world. So I acknowledge you for uh, well, thank helping you. so many people well, feel happier. Well, I so appreciate that. Um, I want to make sure everyone gets your book, The Four Tendencies. Make sure to pick it up. You can pick it up anywhere right now. GretchenRubin.com has more information. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that good stuff. We'll have it in the show notes as well. Um, and the final question is, what's your definition of greatness? I think it's living up to your aims for yourself. And some people have very ambitious aims and some people have less ambitious aims. But if you live up to your aims for yourself, that's greatness. Mm. Double high five. Double high five. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this one. Another powerful episode on the School of Greatness podcast. If this is your first time here, make sure to tag me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and let me know what you thought about this at Lewis Howes on social media. I'd love to connect with you and hear your feedback on this episode. Also, make sure to subscribe and leave a review over on iTunes. The new podcast app on your iPhone allows you to easily click a five-star rating and leave a review now. Before, it used to be really challenging to leave reviews. Now, you just open up your app, scroll right to the podcast, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see right there, click on five stars and leave a review. I'd love for you to do that and let me know when you do so I can connect with you and learn more about what you enjoyed about this episode. We're building a powerful movement, guys. We can't do it without you. We need your support if we want to continue to inspire the world, entertain and educate with powerful ideas, showcase important people's messages and spread it to the world. So continue to share the message of greatness. If you want to learn more about the School of Greatness, check out the full show notes at lewishouse.com slash 541. You can also check out the full video, all the links. Make sure to grab a copy of Gretchen's new book. And if you do anything, just share it with one friend you think this would be invaluable for. Again, it means the world to me that you listen. And every time you share, it helps us get the message out there just a little bit more. And Donald Miller said, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, 
You can like them for who they are. Make sure to take that today and think about the people in your life. Think about the intimate relationships. Think about your family relationships, your friendships, the people that you work with, the people that are actually closest to you all the time. Stop expecting people around you to be perfect and start seeing them for who they are. Start seeing them for the good that they do have and start focusing on and acknowledging that in them right now. I love you guys and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.